welcome to the Glow Podcast with Dr. Land. Our purpose is to inspire and equip you to live a purposeful and maximized life that makes a glowing difference in your world to God's glory. For more inspiring content from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now let's listen in and be inspired.
when you became a member of the body of Christ, you became part of a new nation. A new nation that is made up of people from many ethnicities. And this nation supersedes the one that you were born into naturally. Because the one that is the spiritual, your spiritual heritage is higher than your natural heritage. Okay? A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show. Everyone say, I can show. God show. You can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So it's saying something about this company of people that there is a, there is a, there's an ambience, a, an atmosphere, a characteristic of this body that you've been called into that is just peculiar, different, unique, separated from the rest of the world. And what takes place there, as we live it fully, we become what? manifestation of the God show. And we show people, by just people watching us, how we relate, how we do things, what we experience in our own lives, our families, our children, our lifestyle, our finances, how we deal with stuff. People can look at the body of Christ, should look at the body of Christ, and say, wow, what a company. That is, that's a glorious company. That's a beautiful company. I think I want to join them. I think I want to join them. I think I want to join them. That is supposed to, that was supposed, originally supposed to be the draw of the church. That's supposed to be the draw of the church. The church is supposed to be so attractive because of the love work and the lifestyle of the people there that other people will say, I want to join that, I want to join that company. They, they seem to have some kind of a joy. What? They seem to have some kind of a hope. They seem to have some kind of a life. Like, what is it about them that makes them different? Now, let's see. When the church was born, um, let's see how that showed up. Amen. So, Jesus made a statement again uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. He says, now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. So, first of all, you know who owns the church, right? The first Pastor said, you are God's own possession. So no individual owns the church. Some people say, oh, Pastor Lam, you know, your church. I don't own this church. Amen. <laughs> I'm just appointed by the person who owns this church to under-shepherd the sheep. That's all. I don't own it. It's not my own. Amen. Hallelujah. So the owner of the church is Jesus. And that's why, if anything comes to what I tell you, I turn to the owner. I said, I'm going to sleep. I mean, how many, of you, how many of you crack your head over the company that you work for after you have left work? How many of you? You leave work, you have done your work, and they say they are going bankrupt, they are just paying my salary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I'm saying, I'm just saying it, an extreme illustration, but what I'm saying is that I do not bother myself. As long as I do what he told me to do, the rest is left to the owner. If he cannot take care of his people, then that's his problem. If you tell me what to do, I will do it. But I'm not going to crack my head, knock my head, go sleepless, do whatever over what the owner is supposed to do. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. That's exactly why, why, how he wants us to do it. And he said, all the powers of hell. Everybody say all. Not a few. He said, all the powers of hell. In other words, anything that Satan can muster up will not conquer the church. That's why I call it the resilient company. The resilient company. Hallelujah. We can handle everything. Somebody say we can handle everything. We can overcome everything. No matter what the devil throws at us, we are more than conquerors. We are victors. We are born to win. We are a victorious company. We always win. We always beat the odds. Hallelujah. We're a conquering company. Oh, man, what the devil has thrown at the church over the years. But you know, the church of Jesus Christ is still marching on. The world hated it, it's still marching on. The world hates it, it's still marching on. Hallelujah. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So we own keys. 
the church owns certain keys that he gave to us. Everybody shake your keys. You see, when you give a key to your child, you know what it means? Access. And then <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Especially car keys, you know. It's a new level. <laughs> so when you have keys, <laughs> it represents authority. It represents what? The ability to open and to close. The ability to, you know. So keys make you powerful. It makes you powerful. We give people keys. It makes you powerful. It says, "What? I'm not just going to give you a car key. I'm not just going to give you a house key. I'm going to give you the keys to the very kingdom of heaven. So that whatever you forbid on the earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on the earth will be permitted in heaven. What a powerful company we have. We have the keys to forbid things from happening on the earth. And we have the keys to permit things to, you know, to happen on the earth. We're a powerful body. Amen. But, you know, I, I, I pray that we will rise up to this level of authority through revelations in the name of, in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 uh, to 47. Let's see the description of the first uh, body. Acts 2. Acts 2, 44 to 47. It says, now all who believed were together, all of them. And they had all things in common. You could do any NLT for me. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. This is the first company of uh, this company that we're part of. They sold their properties and possessions and shared the money with those in need. In need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes, small groups, for the Lord's Supper, communion, which we're going to be taking today. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This was a company, not a company of sad people. It was a company that was infused, completely filled with love, I mean with joy. They were joyful. They were joyful. It was a joyful company. With great joy and generosity. Somebody's car is running. All the while, praising God and enjoying the will of all the people. Sorry, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So they had a particular atmosphere and people just kept on joining them. There was so much joy, so much worship. Hallelujah. Now, let's read again uh, about this company. Acts chapter 5, verse uh, 25. From verse 25. Acts 5, from verse 25. Acts chapter 5, from verse 25. So, this, this is what preceded us. This is the church that we are, we, 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 you know, we are succeeding. Then someone, yeah, someone arrived with startling news. The men you put into jail are starting... No, 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 before, before then, I think, um, start from verse 12. From verse 12, sorry, from verse 12. Verse 12. Just showing you the powerful company. It said, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Verse 13. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. The people had high regard for them. There was something about this company that was just unique. But yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall on them. On some of them as they went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were healed. The high priest and his officials, the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. There was something different about this company that made the religious order, do you get it? The established order jealous. That there's just something about this guy. They have so much power, so much joy. They are getting so much results. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But they couldn't even keep them in jail because angel of the Lord came by night. 
Can you imagine they put them in Cook County Jail, and by night, they are out of Cook County. The angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, no, I didn't bring you out for you to run away. Go back to the place where you were arrested. Go to the temple and give the people the message of life. And then they went and did that. At daybreak, the apostles entered the temple and they were told and immediately began teaching when the high priest and the officials arrived. They convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. They sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. The last, uh, uh, those one. But when the temple guards were, went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, 23, 23, the jail was securely locked with the boat guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. Whoever told you that the church is not supposed to be supernatural? Whoever told you that we're just supposed to be natural, ordinary? When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering, where will this end? <laughs> we're supposed to make the world perplexed. Like, what is going on? Where is this leading to? These people are so, they're just something, they're so peculiar, they're so different, there's something about them. At the places of work, in the neighborhood, there's just something about this set of people. We don't understand them. Amen. So there's, there was something about this company that we need to rise up to because that's our heritage. Church is not supposed to be a place where we just gather for the purpose of gathering. No, we gather for the purpose of influence. We gather for the purpose of impact. And the way the impact comes is when love, joy, becomes the order of the day within the church. Say, by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unity spills to the community. Do you get what I'm saying? So love is essential. Jesus said, you know, this is going to be the distinctive characteristics of this church. They are going to be hardened lovers. They're going to be what? Hardened what? Lovers. They're going to be I mean, they're going to love with all, with everything that they've got. They're going to love people as I have loved them. That's going to be the company. But today, I wanted to share one other thing about this company of believers regarding what I talked about about the issue of long life and all that. So there's this statement that was made about this company in Revelations chapter 12, uh, verse 11. Please, uh, if you can show that. Don't, don't worry, my, my, I might not be following my outline the way it is because uh, the outline is loaded. I want to make sure I pick the most important thing. He said, talking about this um, company of people, he said, and they overcame him or the devil by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. You know, the, the worst set of enemy that you can face is the one that is not afraid of death. <laughs> Have you get what I'm saying? You know, there's the Japanese had this, you know, um, set of warriors that are trained. Like, you know, I don't know what they, what they are called again. Do what? Yes. They, they are not, they are trained that, you know, death is nothing. You, you fight to death. So, so when, you, when you meet them, there's nothing you can use to scare them because they have already removed the most scary part, which is what usually scares and, you know, and, help and keeps other people limited. They've already removed it. So <laughs> fight me. What, what's the worst thing that you can do? That's how these people were. They did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. But you know one thing? People think that if you have this kind of attitude, that you don't love your life so much that you're afraid to die, they think that you're going to die. But people who have this attitude are the most resilient. You know what I noticed in studying the Acts of the Apostles? These, these guys, I noticed that, number one, there was not a reference to a particular person in the Acts of the Apostle who died of sickness. Those who died of sickness there, they were healed. Like Dorcas, Dorcas and then uh, what's the name of that guy that Peter, uh, Aeneas. They brought them back to life. 
The only set of people that died among them were those who voluntarily, because of their, li- because of their love for Jesus, they said, you know what, I'm going to volunteer and become a martyr and die. Did you notice that all the disciples and the apostles of Jesus that walked with him, there was never, there was not one incident that they said, and as they were going on the boat, one of them fell under the boat and died. <laughs> Did you notice that? And they traveled to so many places. So, like I was sharing with some people on Friday, I said, the perfect theology, no matter how confusing things are, the perfect theology is Christ. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. If you can't find it in Christ, you need to find the explanation. If you find it elsewhere, you need to find it because that's the explanation. And I'm going to show you something, some things in a moment. But first of all, see that the heretic that we have, the only time they died, like when, the, when you see in the record, was either they died of old age or number two, they voluntarily say, throw me to the lion and see what is going to happen after I go. Because you will now have a thousand people to throw to the lion. Hallelujah. Crucify me upside down. Like they said, Peter said. But there was one guy there, John. They said they put him in boiling oil. He didn't die. They tried everything. He didn't die. So after a while, they said, what can we do about this guy? They banished him to an island. The island of Patmos. He was sold. And that's when you saw the vision of Revelation that we read. They couldn't conquer him. It was a resilient company. Anybody that told you that that company was a weak company is lying. It was a resilient company of people. Nothing could stop them. Not even death could stop them. And because they were not afraid of death, <laughs> they were able to do amazing things. They were a fearless company. So which leads me to uh, this issue of death and long life. One of the things that the devil introduced into this world is what those people conquered that I just told you. It's called the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had, not has currently, that had, the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So listen attentively. The devil introduced a fear called the fear of death. And as a result of the fear of death, people become subject to bondage. In other words, when you are constantly afraid of dying and all this stuff, you will not attempt some things that you are supposed to attempt. There are some people, they will, never, they will not get on a the flight. They say, what if he jumps, if I, you know, what if he falls down? Yo, it's not falling down, amen. No, they will say, it's not falling down. You don't know what I'm, it's not going to fall down, amen. Not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without your father's notice. That's what, not even a hair of your head can fall to the ground. Even the very hair of your head is numbered. You know, just not one, not one. Amen. I'm not talking about your plane falling down. So, it's f- so fear. People are limited from going for what they're supposed to go for because they are scared and they are afraid. And it's because they don't have an understanding of what life or what death and all these things mean. There's, there was a revelation that those people had that made them unafraid of it. And that's what I want to share with you. Amen. It made them unafraid of it, and it made them to be able to do things. And, they, and the only time they, they yielded it is when they feel that it was good for the body. Nobody took it from them. They yielded it. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I curse the fear of death. Hallelujah. So, John chapter 8 verse 32 says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what was the truth that these people knew? So first of all, let's talk about um, one of the first reasons why they were fearless. They were fearless because they knew death for what it was. They were fearless because they knew death for what it was. You see, when you know your enemy, right? 
you know it. <laughs> you know it for what it is. The fear is removed. So let's see what is there. There are three types of death in the Bible. I'm, I want to quickly rush through it. The three types of death in the Bible. The first one is called spiritual death. So this is, that's the highest form of death, which is separation from God. That's what God was telling Adam. He said, the day you commit this sin, you will die. But after he had that thing, he didn't die physically, right? But he died spiritually. Spiritual death is the worst form of death. It is the, the, of, sorry, the, the, the parent of all other kinds of death. It is separation from God. God is life. And when somebody is separated from God, he's in death. Hallelujah. Please go, go, go back to the outline. is in death. Amen. So that's uh, the first one. The second type of death is what the Bible calls the second death. The second death in Revelation 20. This is, this is eternal separation from God. So it says that after everybody died physically, there's going to come a day, a day of judgment, and then there's going to be some people banished. And he calls that the second death. Everybody say the second death. He said, blessed is only he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. So, there is a first death, right, for everybody. But there are some people that will not partake of the second death. Do you get what I'm saying? According to the Bible. Okay? So, sometimes, you know, if somebody dies and all that, they partake of the first death. If they were believers, they are not going to partake of the second death. Okay? And then the last one is what, um, what is called um, physical, physical death. Everybody say physical death. That was the next one, physical death, which is what everybody knows. Physical death is just the unclothing of the spirit. Do you get it? It's just the spirit, the body, living, the spirit living the physical enclosure that it has. It doesn't mean... That the person ceased to, to exist. The person just took off this clothing to go to another dimension with another kind of clothing. So it's the lowest form of it, of physical death. Jesus, um, God said it this way. I love this scripture. I want you to note this scripture because this is the only place in the Bible where we see God defining the numbers of days that human beings are supposed to have. It says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. The spirit will not stay there forever. For is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So if you are looking for a standard now, for after all those people, a standard, right? 120 is the standard. From the mouth of God. So if you are 30 in this place, you are just one fourth, you're done. You are still young. Huh? Check yourself. Do some exercise. You understand? You know, because there's a lot of work ahead of you. Hallelujah. You are still very young. If you are 70, you are young. That means you still have, based on the standard, you still have at least 50 ahead of you. It's time to get married again. <laughs> By the way, I've been praying. I told my mom, I said, I want a white man to marry you. That is very rich. <laughs> because I want a rich stepfather. Please put it, put it in your prayer point. As you are praying for me, please give Pastor Lord a very rich stepfather. The one that I can just say, you know, daddy. Oh, daddy. I just need, you know. Say, take this check. You have, you know. Amen. Okay, that's random. Okay. <laughs> Amen. So, biblical precedence also. So, first of all, 120 years. Okay, yeah, the, the next truth about death that they knew was that it's an appointment with no fixed time. So, he gave us, so he said 120 years, right? But there's no fixed time. Anybody that told you that there's a day of death, there's a particular day, that you must die, that person is not teaching scriptures. It's an appointment that we must meet, but there's no fixed time. In mathematics, we call it a variable, not a constant. A variable. 
Okay? Hebrews 9.27 says, And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after death, the judgment. So, there is an appointment that everybody is going to die. Okay? This person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So, it's an appointment. Right? Hi! I'll see you later! I'll see you in the appointment much later after I finish my assignment. And I'll, I'll call you when it's time to do it. Amen? But not now. Tell anybody, say, not now. <laughs> not now. After that, the judgment. Now, the next one, I want to show you the variability. The next verse there says, um, it says, then Peter, okay, first of all, let's start with uh, Proverbs 10, 27. He said, practice a healthy lifestyle. Oh, no, no, no. That's not from the Bible. That's from my notes. Uh, Proverbs, please, let me check that. Pro- 10, 27. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, and then we'll read Ephesians 6, 2 after that. Proverbs 10, 27. Um, quickly. It says, the fear of the Lord lengthens what? One slide. But the years of what? Are cut short. So if something can be lengthened or cut short, it means that it is not fixed. It's a variable. It's not fixed. You can increase it or you can shorten it. Right? Ephesians 6.2 says, Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3. That it may be well with you. That may, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on what? On the earth. So meaning that it is, it's variable. Do you get what I'm saying? It is variable. It's based on your lifestyle. It's based on what? Your lifestyle. It is not like they say fixed thing. And then, you know, I've met people that say, you know, ah, I, you know in my book, I put some example in there. That you say, you know, you know, somebody like that, you know, one of the examples there was somebody when I was pastoring before that the dad had gone to make a covenant with some people to get some riches, and the person was supposed to die on the particular. And all of people always died at that time. You know, I said, No, 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 that's a lie. Amen. That's a lie. It was it may have been fixed by that covenant, but it was not fixed by God, and therefore we're going to break that thing right now. Hallelujah. Everybody say it's flexible. Acts 10 34 say God is no respecter of persons. So if he fixes your, you know, somebody's to be two, somebody to be three, somebody to be five, then he's a respectable person. God is an equal, equal opportunity life giver. Everybody say equal opportunity. <laughs> life what? Life giver. is equal opportunity. Amen. From God's perspective. Also, the Bible says something that we have a choice. When it comes to death, he said we have a choice. Paul, in, um, well, let's, let's look at Philippians 1, 21 to 25. You'll see Paul playing, it's like he's, he's discussing, he's arguing with death. It's like, you know, um, should I make this appointment now? Or should I make the appointment later? Uh, I'm thinking, you know, I think I'll make the appointment later because I have some work to do. Philippians 1, 21 to 25, please. I'll make the appointment later. So it's, it's not, it's a variable. And the choice of the individual is involved. Paul said, for me, living means living for Christ. Everybody say, living means living for Christ. That's the purpose of life. And dying is even better. So you see that he wasn't scared of death. For some people, they say, living is living, but dying is terrible. No, Paul said, dying is even better. For if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. (laughs) Should I stay and do some more work? Or should I go and just enjoy myself? Which one? (laughs) Hallelujah. I am torn between two desires. I long to be with Christ, which is far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive. So I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Can you see that there was a choice in there? Should I go? Should I not go? I think if I go, it will be more fun, free from this body, enjoy whatever. But you know what? If I leave this body, what about the people I'm supposed to reach in all these nations? What about these epistles I'm supposed to write? What about these churches I'm supposed to, to plant? That will be missing. Okay, I will stay for some time. And when he finished, remember what he said? He said, now the time has come for me. In First Timothy, he said, the time has now come for me to be poured out. You understand? Like an offering. He said, the time of my death is near. 
I have finished my course. I've run, see, I've fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And then it's the end sport, verse 8. End sport is laid for me, and so on. It continues and all that. Now the price awaits me. The, the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the price is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So Paul said, I finished my course. So listen to me. The only, what, we have in this, what we have from this passage that you can get is that the reason why you're on earth is to fulfill an assignment. And you must fulfill that assignment. Now you need to say, say I will fulfill my assignment for being on the earth. I'll fulfill my assignment. That's the reason why I live. For me to live is Christ. It's to fulfill the purpose. Amen. The day that I finish that purpose, as in its dimension, the day I finish it, then that's the day that I say, you know what, Jesus, let's take it to the next level. Hallelujah. Let's take it to the next level. Quickly. So there were some, um, they were fearless because they had, they, they also knew some biblical precedents. So these people were not ignorant people. They were fearless because they knew biblical precedents and the promises of God already made it. They studied the Old Testament. Do you get what I'm saying? So they knew, they had some biblical precedents of people who were, who lived before them. So they were fearless. They, they weren't bothered. They weren't afraid of death because they had some biblical precedents. Let's quickly run through some of these promises. Psalm 91 verse 1 uh, says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Then he said, later he said, with long life I what? Satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. So they, know that they knew that promise, that there was a promise of long life in the Bible. Amen. They knew Job also. Um, yeah, let, let me explain um, Psalm 90. You know, I'm not sure if you've heard that scripture that says uh, the, the years of our lives are 70 years. And if, you know, by reason of strength, we live up to 80. So people quote that, but it is quoted out of context. Because that Psalm, Psalm 90, was written by Moses. And it was written when they were in the wilderness. When they were in the wilderness, after they didn't obey God and all that, and they all said that we're going to die after that grasshopper, we're going to die, God said everybody who is 20 years and above that saw that thing and made that decision, they were all going to die in the wilderness. So at most, anyone there, they had only 70 years to live. That's what, that's what, that's what Moses was quoting there. 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. He wrote it. If you go to the beginning of the psalm, it's a, it's a psalm of Moses that was written while they were in the wilderness. So he was talking about what was happening to those people. They were all destined to die in the wilderness. So there's no scripture that says that you live only 70 years or 80 years. Do you get what I'm saying? That's out of context. Everybody say 120. Come on, say 120. Yes. Hallelujah. Did you guys get that? Abraham, let me quickly run through it quickly because of my time. Abraham, in Genesis 25, verse 78, they said, Abraham lived, um, you know, if, I don't know if you guys can be as fast as that. Genesis 25, verse 78, um, Abraham, the Bible, that's biblical precedent. They talk about how long he lived there. If you are not able to do it, that's fine. You guys can write it down and check it. Isaac, Jacob, every one of them. Show, this is the one you should show. Genesis 47 verse 9. Just Je Genesis 47 verse 9. Jacob had won 30 years and he complained. Everybody read it. <laughs> Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short. Compared to the life. He didn't want 30 and he said, my life has been short. Your life... <laughs> <laughs> you are not even there yet. If this guy is complaining about 130 years, he said, compared to my ancestors, this is short life. 130. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's my language. <laughs> Number four, they understood, this is where I'm going to be around here, they understood where the, why death came. This is where I want you guys, they understood why death came. So you all need to understand it. They understood why death came. Why they were fearless about death, this company of people, is because they studied and they understood why death came. Why do people die young? Why does death come? Let's quickly see what we can do about that right now from scriptures. Not, what, not a fable that you have heard. Number one, John chapter 10 verse 10, they gave it to us. 
They knew the real killer. They knew that it wasn't God. That when somebody dies like that, do you get what I'm saying? They knew that that's not the original, that's not what God originally intended. They knew that there is a killer that comes to kill, to steal. So they said, the thief, John, John 10, 10, the thief comes not, but for to what? To steal, to kill, and to what? And to destroy. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and what? So they knew that line. So when somebody died, in a sense, they didn't say it, oh, Lord, why? Why? Why did you take this person? Why? They knew what? The real killer. So for some reason, they knew that for some reason, the thief was able to gain access. Whenever the norm is violated, I'll give you the exception in a moment. Whenever the norm was violated, they had an understanding that the thief came in. When a child died, it's not God that decided to kill that child in the womb. It's not God that killed that child when that child was just, you know, a baby. It was not God that killed, it's not God that, that killed people in their prime. It's not God that orchestrated it and did that. It, was, it wasn't that God needed some people to be in his garden. You know, some of them said, they said he needed an angel, another angel. He has enough angels. You get what I'm saying? It was, it, it, was, it was, the thief came in somehow. The thief got in. That's what caused it. It wasn't God. And sometimes when those things happen, God's heart himself is broken. In a sense, especially if that person has some assignment to still fulfill. Do you get what I'm saying? But God still brings the person and says, okay, you know. Do you get what I'm saying? He continues because there's, there's what they call, especially if a person knows God, that's not the end of life. Do you get what I'm saying? There's an eternal purpose. But I want you guys to understand it. Everybody said the, the devil is the thief. So when, don't blame God whenever that happens. The devil comes to kill, to steal. So the second thing, they understood why death came. The second uh, thing they taught us, because it's from their books. Um, number, one, number one, I'm going to run through it. The unsaved person is at the mercy, if you are not saved, is at the mercy of that thief. The covering over that person is limited and it's not sufficient. So there's a covering that covers everyone. Bible says it causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust, the sun to fall on the just and the unjust. So that is called common grace. Do you get it? So, but that's not enough. And that's why God made other provisions for people to be covered because there's a thief on rampage. Now, some people, and they don't have Christ and all that, but, you know, based on lifestyle, based on some genetic predisposition and whatever, they are able, they, they, they live long. Do you get what I'm saying? But the fact is that when somebody is unsaved, they are at the mercy of the murderer. He can allow them to live, and then one day just say, you know, let me just take this one. I think, you know, let me just cause some pain. So that's number one. Number two. Number two, quickly, causes of premature, uh, premature death. The next one is ignorance of what? Of God's will. So there are a lot of believers that don't even know God's will, or they are not settled in it. Oshia chapter 4, verse 6 says, my people are what? Destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance of God's will. There are many believers that don't understand this fact that God's preference for them is for them to live a long and fulfilled life of purpose. But because of experiences of people, because of some things they've been taught and whatever, they have some knowledge, I mean, some contrary thing to it, and Satan capitalizes on that. And even they pre-program their bodies, right? And their lives and their experiences for that. Because you always rise to the level of your beliefs. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Hallelujah. Or like that, because of knowledge, lack of knowledge. Hallelujah. Do you get that? Number three, quickly, neglecting the covering. Neglecting God's covering. Hebrews 2, verse 1 to 3, says something. It says that there's some promises that have been given to us, delivered. It said we must listen carefully to this truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. From the message God delivered through angels, as always, to him, I was too firm, and every 
violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation, which was first announced by, announced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? The word salvation there is the Greek word soteria, which covers all of life. He said, how can we escape if we neglect it? So some people neglect this covering. First of all, they don't know that the covering exists. And then some people neglect it. They know it. They just neglect it. Oh, it's just one of those things. Listen, I was sharing it on Friday with, you know, with a group. I, I was like, you know what? When you are on earth or when you are a Christian, you are in war. Are you listening? Every time you take a missionary journey, anytime you go and do something to your work and whatever, and you're a person on purpose, you are in war. You are in war front. And nobody in the war front just goes around anyhow. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody that goes to war must have a covering. And activate the covering. The shield of faith, the prayer of the saints, being part of a church. Hallelujah. You know, you know let me say something about this covering. I, I think I will continue next week. You know, something about the covering. Do you know, how many of you know that just being part of a church is a covering? Or being part of a small group is a covering? Don't take my word for it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man who was committing sin in the church. You understand? The man was committing sin. He was part of the Corinthian church and was just committing sin. He was sleeping with his, um, with his stepmother and he was part of the church. And the guy was okay. The guy was okay. Like he was fine. Like nothing happened to him. So Paul heard about it. Paul said, what is going on? He said, get rid of this guy by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you need. And then keep going. He said, he made, this, he made one statement there. He said, he said, for this person, he said, I have delivered him to Satan. Please let me find it. For the destruction of the flesh. So that his spirit might be saved in the day of judgment. Paul says, church, remove the covering from him. And let him be exposed. So remove the covering from him. And let the devil deal with him. Then maybe his eyes will open. So just because the guy was part of the church, he had a covering that Paul had to revoke. So that the guy could learn a lesson. And you know what happened? The good thing about this guy was that by the time they revoked the covering, by the time Paul was writing 2 Corinthians, the man had changed. And Paul said, let's bring him back into the fold. For we're not ignorant of the device of the devil. But there's a lesson we can learn in there that just being part of a church, he said, for you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. So, so just because he was part of it, there was a covering over him. So I want to tell you something. There's a covering. Like, I, you know, when I travel and all that, I send me emails out. I say, pray for me. Do whatever. Like, I inform people and all that. Because I believe in covering. I don't believe in going to war just with my own gun. I know it's a powerful gun. I know the promises of God. But you, need, you also need other people who are covering you in prayers. Your children need a covering in prayer. Parents are supposed to cover their children. In fact, most of the time in the Bible, when children die, right, when, not from sickness or whatever, when children die, it's either because there was not a parent there, you understand, or, you know, they, they were where the parent was. Jesus Christ himself needed a covering of a parent. Remember, when Herod was killing everybody, God spoke to Joseph. He said, take this child and the mother and go to Egypt, because Herod is seeking to kill this child. So what, what saved Jesus is a parent that was sensitive to God that took the child out and went to another place. So, as parents, we have a responsibility to be a covering. As pastors, we have a responsibility to be a covering. That's why you must commit yourself to be the member of one church. Don't have ten churches. You get what I'm saying? You must be part of one, where they know you where you are serving in there, where they are praying for you. When anything happens, they come for it. 
I mean, we have seen testimonies like that. I have seen testimonies of when I had to pray. Somebody was dying. So one of them sent me a message recently. Was dying right there in my, you know, right there. I was, I was right there. And I just, the only thing I said, I said, Lord, because I took this person, you know, from another town on a journey. I said, Lord, if this person dies now, they're going to say this person followed the pastor. And, you know, and then this happened. But Lord, no, this person's life, this person has sickle cell anemia. So this person's life is not fulfilled. I know this guy. This guy has a prophetic anointing. This guy has an apostolic anointing. He has planted a church. He can plant more churches. And I was just pleading, pleading, pleading in there. The guy resuscitated. That guy now has planted, I think, about four or five churches now. Now got married, even though he was sickle cell, uh, you know, diagnosed with sickle cell anemia. And his life could have ended then. I've seen it many times. Not just in the area of death, but in the area of issue. What about you know, immigration issue? People get into a jam, and what saves them is the covering that they have. You know, that was sometimes your faith cannot do some things, but when you have collective faith, like that man that they brought, you know, that they broke the roof, his friend brought him and broke, I said, Jesus saw their faith. And the man was healed. Sometimes your faith alone can't do it. Sometimes it's the faith of the body that can get you out of the jam. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because of our time, I'm going to stop right now. And I, but I will continue next week. But what I want you to know is that you are part of a resilient company. Come on, rise up on your feet and say that. Say, I'm part of a resilient company. Say, I'm part of a resilient company. Tell your neighbor you are part of a resilient company. Love is our identity. Grace is our possession. The promises of God are real. Come to your neighbor and say, you shall not die. But live to declare the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. With long life, it will satisfy you. And it will show you his salvation. Say, I rebuke the fear of death from your life. Go about your journey. Go about your assignment. Fly when you need to fly. Do whatever you need to do. As long as you are in obedience to God, fulfilling your purpose, you are covered. You are covered. You are covered. You aren't going nowhere. There's an assignment for you. And you will fulfill that assignment in Jesus' name. Come on, rejoice. Please bring the communion. Bring the communion very quickly. We're going to take the communion right now. And I'm going to show you a mystery. I'm going to show you a mystery of the communion as regards to long life. You know, please follow me. When, you see, when the Spirit of God leads, if you have worked with me, if the Spirit of God is leading me in a direction, those who have worked with me know that one of the grace God has given to me is the grace of sensitivity. You know, I've been working with God for over 30 years. I know the voice of God. I know the voice of God. Not that I cannot miss it. Do you get what I'm saying? But I know God's voice. I know when God is saying, go in a direction. I have the gift of interpretation or whatever. When it diverts from something or do this, I know it. I hear it very clearly. And if you work with me, you will know it. It's one of those things. There's a reason why God is telling me to do this. The last time I did it, no, not the last time. One time that I did it, I was sharing on Friday. God led me to do this. And there was a young man that was standing at the back. I was making that confession. I was just letting, I was making the confession and the young man was standing at the back there and he wasn't doing it. It was somebody that led to Christ. I led him to Christ, got him filled with the spirit and everything, but he was not doing it. Do you know that that guy was shot that night and he died? It caused me pain. That's one of the worst days of my life. I wept from morning till night. From morning till night. The whole church was mourning. I didn't even know what to say to everybody. But I saw him that day when I was doing it. And he was just there. One of the reasons why you are part of a church is because God is going to give direction. And God told me specifically to do this. I know we take communion on every fourth Sunday. But today, there's, there's a reason for this communion. Are you getting what I'm saying? There's a reason for this communion. The communion is a representation of what took place in Exodus, which is called the Passover. How many of you remember? It's called the Passover. What happened? They said the angel of death was passing by to kill people in Egypt. It wasn't meant for Israel, 
But Israel needed to put a sign up that would say, not meant for me. And God said, this is what the sign will be. You will kill a lamb, and then you will eat the flesh, but you will sprinkle the blood of this lamb upon your lintel or the lamp post, the, the post of your house. And he said, when I see the blood, what will happen? I will pass over you. And that's where the Passover started, which they still separate, they still celebrate up until now. But in the New Testament, the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ has become what? Our Passover lamb. Remember, say Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was, you know, he was, you know, he was wounded for our transgression. Hallelujah. So he's our Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 11, quickly, this is the last passage I'm going to read. 1 Corinthians 11, please bear with me. You just get this there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul began to talk to the, uh, to the Corinthians. Began to talk to the Corinthians. So uh, go to where he, talk, he started talking about the communion. Uh, from verse 23. From verse 23. From verse 23. He says, for I pass this to you, what I received from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it to pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in what? In remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of the wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So remember me. Remember me, my death, and all that as you do it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until it comes again. When you announce the Lord's death, you are announcing your own life. Go on, verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drink this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I will tell you, what does it mean to eat unworthily? It doesn't mean that you are perfect, that you have no sin. What it means to eat, eat it unworthily is going to show you, verse 29. He said, that is why you should examine yourself before eating this bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, the person beside you, everybody the person beside you, so he had been teaching them about love before he got to that point. How they were not taking care of the poor, they were not taking care of people around them. They were being selfish. So when he's talking about this, you know, about eating it worthily, is that check your love work. Do you get it? When you take it, check your love work. Are you in strife with somebody? Are you fighting with someone? Are you, you know, in disagreement with someone? Check your love work. Do you get it? He said, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Now look at the result of doing that. Verse 39. Verse 39, because you were not taking the communion correctly. He says, this is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Some have even, some have even died. So there's a mystery in the communion taken with the spirit of love that preserves life and that helps you to be strong. So that's what I want us to do. Let's engage this mystery now. Are you ready? Before you do it, the first thing I want to say, if you know you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't meet him as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to pray for you. Let's bow down head very quickly. Quickly, please. Just shoot up your hand, and I want to quickly get that out of the way. Just get out of it. Just shoot up your hand. I won't ask you to come out. And if you are watching me too online, just, you know, uh, indicate, you know, there. It's just, it's just to say, you know what, I want to receive him. It's just for you to bring that. So shoot up your hand if you are, if you are here and you want to do that. Just shoot it up. And basically, all you need to do is just speak in your heart to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I accept your death. I accept your sacrifice. Come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. So everybody, let's pray that prayer right now. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive your life, your salvation, and, and, your, and, and, and the salvation of my soul right now as I put my faith in your blood. I believe that I'm righteous. I believe I'm saved. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me. In Jesus' name. Amen. The second thing, very quickly, if you know you are here and you are in strife with anybody, I won't ask you to come out. Bow down your heads right now and deal with that thing now. Just deal with it quickly. Let every tension of 
regarding love, but let it go away. It could be between spouses, it could be between friends, it could be between church members. Just remove that thing. The body, the person is part of your body. Part is part of this resilient company. Hallelujah. Just let it go. Let it go. Yeah, so, you know, if you want to come out, you can come out too. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go, let it go, just let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Don't let it hold up to you. Because you're about to do something mysterious right now. And it's a preservation for our lives this month and in the coming month. Just pray right now. Say, Lord, I release that person. Come on, say, I release that person. Or release yourself. It is you. Just release that person. And, you know, just tell God, after this service, if there's anything you need to do to meet that person, to, you know, to, you know, to just get the thing started, just promise him and say, I'm going to do that. But release that person right now. Release that person. Your ex-husband, your ex-boyfriend, your whatever. Just release that person. Don't hold on to anybody. Don't hold on to anybody. Other pastors, other ministers, no matter what they have done, nobody's worth that. Nobody is watch you losing your peace and losing your job and uh, your joy and losing your protection. Just release that right now in the name of Jesus. Father Lord, we, re we, we declare right now that your love covers this place right now. We are worthy to receive your blood and to receive your body right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Globe Podcast. We trust you were blessed and inspired. For more contents from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Keep glowing. See you next time.